listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, this Friday morning. Now, let's turn to the fine, our final topic and guest of the week. In the next 20 minutes or so, we're chatting with Dr. Jane McNay from Pause in Motion Veterinary Physiotherapy. And this week, we're going to be talking about the human-animal bond. Welcome back on the program, Dr. Jane. Good morning again. How are you, Noreen? I'm doing well, and it's always great to see you. And thank you very much for joining us thank this morning. You. In our studio yeah. as well. So it's I'd fun. love for our listeners to join us on Facebook. You'll be able to see and hear Dr. Jane there, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. Now, let's first of all start with the definition of this human-animal bond. What exactly do you mean by it? So I guess the simple explanation, which I'll start with before I give you the one I wrote down for when I forget it in total, um, is essentially it's a mutual beneficial relationship between a human and an animal. Um, the American Veterinary Medical Association says it needs to be dynamic, so that means it keeps on changing, and that it influences the behaviour and the health of the individual, so the animal and the human. Um, I guess for lots of us, it means different things. And so what I, I did to help prepare myself today, because obviously as a vet, I'm, I've got my ideas, I asked lots of friends and colleagues about what they thought about the human-animal bond to give you some insight on Ooh, that. I like this on-the-ground yes, research. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, it's my first foray into this kind of journalism, so, you know, a little bit difficult not to lead the questions for sure. Um, You're but a I natural, think, so... I think I've got a couple of, of really good things that help to define it because it is about the symbiotic relationship, so it's both how the human is rewarded and how the animal is rewarded, and we'll go into the science of how that works shortly. Um, I asked my colleague at work, Stephanie, she's got a dog, Melly, and one weekend I said, what are you doing this weekend? And she sent me this picture of this dish that was all the, uh, like a flower with all these different meats and, and foods and cut carrots and things for her dog. And she said, I'm making my dog's breakfast. And I was like, oh my goodness, you need to come over and make my breakfast. This is much more exciting than I've ever seen on a Sunday. And so the other day I just said, what? what's the human-animal bond mean to you? You sent me that photo, what's it mean? And she was very succinct in that she said, it makes small things fun. It's really important to get the joy of the actual interaction and the connection with the pet. And then she followed up with, which I think is very true in Melly's case, she said that it's a lot about eye contact, which is what I felt, and so I hopefully wasn't leading her toward this. I'm like, what else? And what else did you feel? And she said, it's really the eye contact. And Melly is a, a, a crossbreed dog that has a very dark eye. And when Melly looks at you, she looks into your soul. And so even me as a veterinarian, I'm like, wow, Melly's focused on me, laser focused. And, um, and so that's what, uh, that's what the human-animal bond, I guess, we often think about. And I thought it was really special that Steph's taken this to a, an extra level of doing these, um, these things, these interactions, these maybe very human things of preparing a meal for her doggy. Yeah. Um, and then last night, I had a great response from my neighbor. I jumped out the taxi quite late and she was taking her friend's dog, Bob, for a walk. So Bob has also been a patient of mine. I know him very well. He's a Labrador and he used to be super fat and now he's lean and gorgeous. He got adopted and rehomed. And I um, said to Yvonne, oh, you're looking after Bob for, I think, three weeks while the owners are moving back to Australia and then Bob will go. And I said, hey, Yvonne, what's the human-animal bond mean to you? And she said, well, since Bob's been here, Bob has followed me around. Bob 
is just about doing the course I'm completing online. Bob is so confused. I can see in his face sometimes he doesn't know why mum and dad aren't there. And at the moment, mum hasn't left yet, so she's still doing a few visits. So he's in somebody else's home. He has found his new person to bond to because he has to, because he is out of sorts. I tried to explain to him that he is going to Australia in 20 days, but you know, my language skills are not so good with dogs yet. Um, and so all we can do is really give him the love. But I think for my friend Yvonne, at this time, she's not working. And actually to have this creature to share that with. So the human-animal bond sort of incorporates the social interaction um, and physical, especially physical touch and something that is non-judgmental. And that's something that I think we could all do with quite a lot, certainly me, for sure. Absolutely. Why do you think animals and humans bond so well? Oh, goodness. Um, so I guess uh, this would be where we go back to the, to the neurochemistry of it. So we have a lot of information. We know that um, the human-animal bond provides responsibility, companionship, all of those things, but it does have an effect on the brain. So cortisol is the stress hormone. And cortisol is released when we're stressed and it has an effect on our wellness, on our health and being. And that's actually managed by the um, hypothalamus pituitary axis. So this axis controls that and this can be a negative feedback cycle. Oxytocin, as you're probably aware, because you would have heard a lot about oxytocin with when babies are born and things and all that magic stuff. Um, oxytocin is really known as the love hormone. It's also... Uh, produced by the hypothalamus and so it's this hypothalamic pituitary axis that controls the balance so if we get oxytocin released when we're petting animals or interacting with them then that can help to affect the axis but what's even cooler is we know that the human animal bond can affect that axis but only if you like animals <laughs> so <laughs> So There's this a catch. helps. Yeah. To, yeah, I should so, actually rephrase my question. Why do some people bond yes. so well? Okay, so yeah. I have. I'm the youngest of six children. Oh and wow! And in my family. Um, there's uh, there's three of us that I would classify as really loving animals, and three that were they didn't hate them, they just didn't. Not so interested. Yeah, sure. and it was particularly interesting as you know I grew up to be a, a vet and I was the youngest one, and my mother definitely enabled this in me. Um, any pet that came home, I got to nurture and whatnot. Um, but I could never understand how some, you know, one brother in particular would, we had this small fluffy dog at one point and he was like, oh, I need to get her inside. I need to, I want to pick her up. I know she needs to go and it's raining, but I, I can't touch her. So he sort of corralled her back into the house. And I'm like, this is a defenseless little thing with one eye. Like she can't even walk to get back in, just pick her up. Really. Some people just have this mm, um, exactly. barrier, whether it stems yeah. from fear or, or just, yeah. yeah. So there's definitely no fear because we grew up with dogs and cats, but there were just some of us that had more of an affinity and over time I've watched those relationships in the others that have changed and my two elder sisters were probably not so focused on on pets until one of them got her own and now she you know messaged me this morning with thousand pictures of her dog saying She's yeah the human animal bond. Yeah. exactly and my other sister when we talk about pets we still refer to them as mutts because that's her language so I, I say how's the mutt she says good our oh, mum's mutts doing this or whatever and so we converse like that um so I think that that 
when I researched again last night, was just going, why is this different? It's just that some people don't have that affinity. They don't see it. And, yeah. um, and so that's interesting. Yeah, you touched on earlier, Dr. Jane, about some of the benefits. Perhaps we can also uh, go into it in, in a bit more detail. Let's talk yeah. about some of the benefits of, of having um, a pet or having several pets or different types of pets? So um, there's there's a group called the Human-Animal Bond Research Institute and they have done a lot of research into the human-animal bond because it's, it's, you know, dynamic and, and difficult to sort of contain. But there's lots of things and there's basically feel, fit into three areas, mental health, um, heart health and longevity. So there'd be three of the big factors and then there's lots of other little things. Um, but just thinking about, you know, you mentioned you had your guest on earlier today who was talking about suicide in Hong Kong and how we're seeing changes in, in that and the increase in, in that at the moment. And um, there's a lot of research in animals. So first of all, we know that oxytocin levels are doubled when the dog and the human are together. So from the human side, the oxytocins are levels are doubled and it works both ways. Um, other studies tell us that we can reduce stress by using oxytocin and managing that hypothalamic pituitary blah blah and um, so that is helping to manage the flight and fight response so that's really important. Petting animals also upregulates the parasympathetic nervous system which is our relaxation response and then it's also been shown to maintain the balance of stress and relaxation for health and well-being. So mental health, there is a, a real link between how a pet can help you in a situation. And I called another friend of mine, said, what's human animal bond mean to you? And she said, her name's Jess, and she has a dog called Cake, a little Frenchie. And, um, and she said, well, you know, she hadn't had pets before, married her husband, they wanted to get a doggy, they got a Frenchie, and... Cake was there, and when she, before she had her two uh, lovely children, she actually had a miscarriage. And she said he, he knew, Cake knew, because he sat Sense. with me the whole time. And, oh. I mean, for me growing up, if I, uh, I had dogs that took all of my tears, they were able to just be there and accept it. And I think that's also what we see a lot of families where especially, you know, dogs or, or cats or really any animal, it doesn't see it doesn't see differences. So it doesn't see maybe things that might be disfigurement or disability or, or things that people are worried about. Animals don't get that. They just get your emotion. And, and that's when you're cool. sad and crying, maybe your family members, well as well-meaning it might be, might be to offer you advice or just mm. to offer you totally. um, uh, words. But sometimes you just need someone to sit with you and, yes. and let that emotion sort of and come out. And cats, sometimes great. I have two cats at the moment. And the other night I was pretty upset about some stuff and I was sitting there crying on the sofa. And, um, and then I looked up and they were both just sitting there looking at me like, mm, you know, what have you done? Yeah. And I was like, oh. So I went over and picked up my cuddly cat and I squeezed it's her and I cried all over her and she was not happy. Cats yeah. don't like wet fur. So, so they're sometimes helpful. Um, but, uh, but certainly, you know, I realise and, and I know that I talk a lot to my pets and a lot of people do. Yes. And that can be 
And really that's really soothing as well because mm. I think we have an aging population globally, but here in Hong Kong as well. And last time when we had Clarence talked about suicide figures, we talked about the elderly, yeah. and that was also on the increase because some of their family members have maybe moved away oh. from Hong Kong. So there was a real sort of um, uh, wave of loneliness amongst the elderly. So yeah, it sounds so like pet is... could be. A well, great solution to to offer them, you know, some a companionship or some way. And if that's in an old people's home, by using therapy pets that can come into the home, and you know, we even have guidelines for therapy pets. But I guess just talking about loneliness. Um, so my own mother is not in a. She's in a retirement village, so she has a small apartment to herself, and she doesn't really need any care at this stage. Um, but she is starting to lose her memory, so severe memory loss, uh, early dementia, yes. I guess we could say. And she's always had cats, always had cats, and. Um, a couple of years ago, the cats passed away. And we know at the age of 83, at some point, she may need to go into a, a different care facility. And we're also aware that in Australia, that may mean not taking the pet. In most cases, it means not taking the pet for various reasons. And um, when the, the cat died, I you know, spoke to her and she said, you know, we'd grieved a lot. We've had a lot of pets together. So we know how to grieve. And um, and I talked to her and, and she said, yes, I'm sad. Yes, I'm sad I've lost the, the cat, Snooks. But I'm lonely. I'm lonely every day. And my dad's passed away. So it's just mum there. And we do go and visit when we can. But I'm here. Other siblings are elsewhere in Australia. And it's not the same. The TV is not the same. And so I, you know, chatted with my siblings and a couple of siblings were very concerned about getting another cat for a senior person. And I found in Australia, they have the Animal Welfare League. And what they do is they do seniors for seniors. So they will rehome specifically senior pets into senior homes. So this is wonderful. So then I was able to match my mum with a cat called Smidgen and I did this through here so I called called up from Hong Kong and um, they said we've got a great cat for you she's 16 years old I said fantastic let me call mum rang mum mum I've got a cat Smidgen she's beautiful 16 years old her owner has gone into care she needs someone to look after her. could you look after her for the rest of her life and mum said oh no darling she's too old and I went oh bugger so I called her back the next day I said mum I've got a cat, Smidgen, be perfect for you to move into the home. You, she needs someone to look after her. She's 14 years old. Mum said, oh, darling, she's too old. I don't want to lose another cat. Oh, okay. So I rang back the next day. Mum, I've got this cat, Smidgen. And this is where I thought, okay, maybe a little bit of memory loss is okay. Um, I've got this cat, Smidgen. She's 12. She's beautiful. She needs a home urgently because her owner's gone into care. Could you do it? And Mum said, yeah, that sounds wonderful, darling. Oh, I'd love to have a cat. And she said to me, look, I'm, I'm old. I'm going to need to other care sometime, so I can't take a kitten. I need another other cat. And, oh, it sounds like Smidgen needs me. And this is just a beautiful story. And actually, for the magazine with Animal Welfare League, they're actually going to write up Mum's story and we're putting some pictures in in the next sort of chapter. I and love that story. You're yeah, so creative. It's so great. <laughs> well, it had to be. Yeah. And then I had to call the vet and go, so we've got this cat and you're going to register it really at 16, but um, just tell Mum it's 12. And when you drop so, her yeah, off, we yeah. have to you know manage a bit of the veterinary stuff from afar, but we organised the vet visits to go in and... And this is all mum talks about. I call her and we just talk about smidgen and smidgen's blankets and where smidgen is. And yeah. it's that's wonderful. Oh. And there are other ways that you can still do that with a senior facility. You just have to find the right pet. And with that comes some things that are worth considering. For example, you have to think of the pet factors. It needs to be a healthy animal. 
the animal can't be losing vision or losing hearing and startle easily. Um, the animal has to be free of disease, and that comes back to the human health. We have to make sure the animal's vaccinated. The animal's not going to react in different ways. So there are things on the, the human side as well as the animal side. So it's not like you can pick up your family cat and go, I'm going to the old people's home with my yeah. cat to show my mother. It needs to be um, fit yeah. for... And we do have those programs in Hong Kong. So um, Animals Asia does Professor Paws, which is the education side, and then they also have uh, um, animals that go into uh, that do therapy and, and things yeah. with people. So, yeah, so that's wonderful. Is it ever too late to have a pet? And I ask that because many buildings in Hong Kong, many places mm. in Hong Kong, don't allow for pets. So, for example, if no, if somebody's lived in those buildings all their life and never had a pet, and now they're in a position where they can own a pet and they want a pet, is yeah. it ever too late? Are there barriers no. for people like that? No. So I, I know this because I've been in Hong Kong for 25 plus years. And when I first started working at the SPCA, when I arrived as a new grad, it was all about preventative medicine and nobody knew about preventative medicine. Deworming, heartworm prevention, yeah. vaccination, yes, everybody knew of. And so we really had to educate the public. And at the time, I remember a lot of people were first pet owners and I still see that now. But what's changed in those 25 years is the internet. Um, and now people are able to look up good resources. Facebook, not necessarily good resource. Could I suggest using websites of trained professionals. Um, I mean, it's good to, to get advice on different places to go, but there is a lot of content out there if you look for it, and that can be really helpful. So being a first-time pet owner, no, just yeah. find out first. Do your research first. And there is lots of different pets. I mean, I've talked about dogs and cats here because it's easiest, but some of the bunny owners I have are the most bonded people that I know to their pets. Um in Australia, we had guinea pigs. Oh, I love guinea pigs, yeah. yes. Guinea pigs are awesome. <laughs> they make so, cute Yeah, they're noises. so great. So my brother had, and I, and this is where my extension of the human-animal bond maybe went a bit too far. I was at my brother's place in Queensland, and we were having a bar barbecue outside. And they had a doggy, and they had guinea pigs, and the guinea pigs were free to run around. And they had children. The children were, you know, in their teens. And um, at some point, for whatever reason... I noticed the guinea pig wasn't moving and I, oh my goodness, the guinea pig's not moving. And so I went to the guinea pig, no heart rate. So I went into vet mode and I thought these children would be devastated. So I ran into the bathroom and I did CPCR on the guinea pig. So little heart compressions and blowing through his nose to, to aerate the lungs. And I realized he was I think he had overheated. Um, and so, you know, I'm doing this CPCR and he was an old guinea pig. But um, my brother's knocking on the door going, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to save the life of the guinea pig because the kids are going to be distraught and I'm the vet and it's on my watch and this cannot happen. And um, and when I came out and I explained to the kids that the guinea pig had passed away, they were like, oh, he was he was really old anyway. And, you know, that's OK. We've we've got the other one and we've got the dog. And, and I, I was sort of floored for a moment because... They're so resilient. Yeah, <laughs> they're very resilient. And it was just different to how I had been when I'd had things happen to my own pets. And so we are all on a different journey. But the good thing is also with children, owning a pet teaches them so much. You don't learn about grief at you know, I, I've gotten to my age and really, apart from losing my father, I haven't lost other close family. I'm very, mm -hmm. very lucky. But I have lost a million pets. Um, I've lost a lot of my own pets and then a lot of my clients' pets that, that we end up 
bonding with too as a professional. Yeah, yeah. and that also teaches you so much about your yeah. own emotional intelligence and the way we process our own feelings as well. We still have a, qu- a couple of things that w- w- we can talk about about the human-animal bond, mm-hmm. but I'm just so conscious of the time. We've got about two minutes left, Dr. Jane. I, I want to talk a little bit more about something to do with pet care. What is this notion of uh, fear-free practice? So I guess fear-free practice really stems from that human-animal bond. We know that with anything we do medically, um, we can alter the bond between the client and their pet, not to mention us and the pet. So for me in my practice, I try to practice fear-free. So we sit on the floor, we turn down the lights, we have music. I'm able to do that because I'm doing physiotherapy, so it's a little bit different. Um, And I try to do those things. We'll use um, diffusers if we have cats and and things to make it be more calm. I'm also using pain-free modalities and machines. So that is all in that sort of focus. And from, but I also look at what the clients are doing. So are they giving hundreds of different supplements? And if they are, I often think this little pet is rattling with pills, you're popping pills. So I'll have the conversation, how easy is it to give that? How, you know, can you manage? And then maybe sometimes help them triage what's more important and what's not. And I'm also very conscious if I ask the client to do something, if they can't or won't, that affects the human animal bond. So we have to be careful. We might say, well, it's so easy to give subcut fluids under the skin if your cat's got kidney disease. But for an owner, putting in a needle could be very fearful. And then that's that's a no-go. So we need to have ways that we can say, or we can do it here or, you know, different things that we can do. So fear-free for pets is what we mean by fear-free practice. But as a veterinarian, we have to remember the bond between the client and the animal and do everything we can to protect that bond. Um, and then on the other extreme, you know, in some cases where the pet is, is you know, dying, helping the owner to make that decision so that they're not then responsible for, well, they are responsible, but, but not having to take all of that on themselves. So sharing that sort of grieving process. Yeah, well, I think that's definitely a topic we can uh, visit next time, uh, perhaps, uh, or other Wonderful. chats that we're going to have. Meanwhile, thank you so much for your time this morning, Dr. Jane McNay, and I look forward to having you back on next time. Thank Thanks, you very Sarah. much.